Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every month we deep dive into a different aspect of cinema. Directors, actors, franchises, or genres, it's always fun at the Film Club. I'm Dean. I'm Boo. And this month we're talking about... Movies about movies. And this week we're talking about... Gods and Monsters. Gods and Monsters. Uh, 1998 stars Sir Ian McKellen, Brendan Fraser. Sir Brendan Fraser. Sir, he's not English, but whatever. Uh, Doesn't matter. Uh, it is directed by Bill Condon. This is a Oscar bait movie of the late 90s that kind of still works, honestly. Yes. You know, lightly. It's, it's pretty good, you know. Yeah, I mean, kind of gives you the feeling of like a TV movie. Yes. But then, you know, it's like, wow, some of these scenes in the movie are just so high scale and just, you know. Very expressionistic. Very deep. It It's uh, it is definitely one of those movies that, yeah, it has a feel of like a TV movie, a little cheaper. But goddamn, the, the grade of actor in this is so solid. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have two of the biggest actors and portraying, you know. One of the biggest horror franchises of all time. Well, I, I don't know if I could call it a franchise because he just directed the first two movies. Oh, the rest were done by hacks. That's, I love that joke. And I love the fact that he doesn't even let him finish saying the rest of the title of the movie. Mm. He's like, son of. And he's like, nope, didn't do that one. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where uh, this is done right before Ian McKellen does Lord of the Rings and yes. X-Men. This is done before Brendan Fraser breaks out and becomes... A star of the century. This is before Rick O'Connell. This is before, yeah, before The Mummy. This is before George of the Jungle. Yes. And it's, uh, it is, it is something else. It is something else. Yes. But, uh, before we jump into the movie, I think we need to read the back of the box. Oh, you want to start early with the back of the box, I see. I, I feel like we have to. That means she has a lot to say about this movie, everybody. Because the back of the box for gods and monsters is actually pretty pretty tight. It, okay. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Okay. <clears throat> In the twilight of the life of James Whale, the... Fr- <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> tight, huh? Very tight. <clears throat> In the twilight of the life of James Whales, the famed director of Frankenstein, he begins to come to grips with his life after a stroke that has threatened to leave him a vegetable. Whale decides to make one last connection before he... Uh, okay. One last connection before he dies in his befriending of the ex-Marine and gardener, Clay Boone. As their relationship grows, Whale loses his grip on reality and his mind leading him to the film climb... God damn, I can't read my own handwriting. No, <clears throat> you can't. I'm doing this, all right? And his mind leaving him in his mind leading him to the film's climax where he attempts to bait Clay into killing him to save him from his fate. You want me to run through that one more time? No. <laughs> we, we tried. I'll go. Okay, I got it. Okay. <clears throat> In the twilight of the life of James Whale, the famed director of Frankenstein, he begins to come to grips with his life after a stroke that has threatened to leave him a vegetable. Whale decides to make one last connection by befriending his gardener and ex-marine, Clay Boone. As their relationship grows and Whale loses his grip on reality and his mind, leading him to the final climax, where he attempts to bait Clay into killing him to save him from his fate. 
there you go. There's there's also a whole romantic subplot of uh, James Whale being very openly gay mm-hmm. and Boone being not that way, and them having a very very charged sexual uh, um, uh, tension in the entire film. That and is, brawl. And brawl and uh, light assault. Well, there's some shit in this movie. Yes, there's a lot in this movie. Apart from, you know, the, the fantastical kind of, you know, feeling of this movie where we go back to the filming of The Bride of Frankenstein and these dream sequences and we go back to the First World War. I kind of love that, you know, this is... You know, fiction, nonfiction kind of movie, Mm -hmm. because this is documenting the last days of James Whale, because he really did commit suicide. Um, He was suffering from strokes, and it was affecting his mind. It was a thing where, you know, they were so surprised that it wasn't affecting him physically. You know, he was very much able to take care of himself, but it was attacking the mind. And just to see, you know, kind of how, you know, the strokes and old age were just ravaging his brain. And just how, you know, he's jumping back from, you know, his career, the war, his childhood. And, you know, my grandparents both had dementia before they passed. So it was kind of, you know, relatable where I was able to see they have those moments where they drift off and they're they're somewhere else. And it's just like, wow, this is very surreal, but interesting to see where his brain takes him in the movie. Yeah, the whole movie has this very interesting aesthetic and this very interesting way of showing Whale as he kind of deteriorates. Because the whole movie is dictated by Whale kind of losing it. Mm-hmm. And in in a way that's like very sad and tragic because when we meet him, he is flamboyant. He's the he's the queen of of California. He is this great big personality. And by the end of it, you're he is so sad that he's become this thing that he is not him. Yeah, he's a shell of himself. And, you know, it's kind of shocking because, yes, he's very over-the-top and, you know, strong, but we're learning, you know, at the same time, he's just gotten out of the hospital. And we're not sure how long he was in there. He had, you know, either a major stroke or a couple of them, and at this time, you know, there wasn't much that they could do. It takes place in, like, 57, I think. 57, yeah. Yeah. So it's this thing where it's like, you know, wow, you just came out of the hospital and, you know, you're firing on all cylinders, but he's firing because he's not taking the medication. And he explains that too, you know, his recent ex, but they'd been life partners for like 20 years where it's just, you know, I take the medication and, you know, it kind of... It zonks me out. It zonks him out. It makes him dopey. He doesn't really know where he is. And his partner is like, well, take the medication because otherwise, you know, it's your brain is just firing on all different cylinders and you're, you know, having these memories, these flashbacks, these horrible headaches, but it's the struggle of, I want relief, but I also want to be myself. Yeah. And it's, that is like the core of Whale's character in the movie. And the movie is so full of this very like sad melancholy. It's James Whale's kind of being, very sad that his mem that his legacy is tied up in Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and his monster pictures when he's like, guys, I made Showboat like that. I'm really proud of that. And you know, my crown jewel of my career was going to be this war epic, and they completely botched it. The studio botched it, and they brought in someone else to throw in some stuff in there. And because it failed, it flopped at the box office. I took the rap for that when it was really this was a serious picture, and this was going to be you know 
the crown jewel of my career and you took it away. And it, the whole movie has that very melancholy vibe and it it really is this this real hard drama, but we are seeing a lot of it through his gardener Clay Boone, and this is where it mixes auto like biography with fiction. Yeah, because this movie is based on a book uh, called Father of Frankenstein. It was released in '95 by Christopher Brom. He studied like the last months of James Whale's life. So this is where we see, you know, the the reality and then the fiction. Where, you know, Clay Boone comes in and Clay just happens to be, you know, a, a perfectly good scale of Frankenstein's monster. It, it is funny um, when he's like, you have such a perfect skull shape. And it's like, yeah, because his head is shaped like Frankenstein. Yeah. Like he has the haircut, like the flat top deal, you know. He's tall. Night. He's muscular. It's like, yeah, you are kind of perfect. And, you know, it's, I mean, I, I love this movie because, you know, it, just the way it wraps up at the end. But um, I mean, there's also the whole thing where it's like there's the the um I wasn't kidding. There's a lot of like uh, 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 sexual tension, yeah. you know, male gaze, homoeroticism going mm-hmm. on in the movie. And it, that is like the that is like the driving thing of the movie is James Whale's relationship to Cliff Boone or Clay, Clay. Boone. Sorry, Clay Boone. And Clay is, you know, like ultra straight like man's man thing he's a marine yeah yeah. and james whale is like well how straight are you mr (laughs) clay Mm." but i love that you know they they do have their blow-ups in the movie yeah and you know it's a thing where even during their their worst fights with each other they still kind of like you know i'm sorry i took that too far they have an actual relationship yeah, I'm I'm just wondering cuz as the movie is progressing it changes from I'm I think we're we're going to have to explain like how the movie works out to make yeah. this make sense. Okay, so <clears throat> we'll we'll start from the top. Yes. So the movie starts and we introduced to James Whale, Mr. Jimmy, fabulous living in the lap of luxury in Beverly Hills. Uh, uh Pacific Palisades, but rarely shot in Pasadena. Like everything. Yeah. And he's doing this interview with this very, um, I don't know how to describe this character. Fanboy. Fanboy, yeah. I I mean, you know, being able to meet a director, we have. We met John Carpenter. Yeah. And I mean, that was kind of our nervous energy. We were just so excited, you know, like, oh my God, I want to talk about, you know, the movies that I absolutely love that you made. But we were not this guy. No. This guy is like almost insultingly fanboyish. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you have James Whale that's trying to say, oh, okay, you want to know about my career? You know, this is where my life started. And he's just, can we talk about Frankenstein? Can we talk about Frankenstein? Can can, can we talk about the part of your career people, you know, are going to remember you for? And he's like, I'm not dead yet, you little shit. And he's like, well, I'm sorry to insult you, but I mean, can we talk about Mr. Karloff? And he's like, oh, fuck you. So there's this whole like strip poker scene where he's like, I'll tell you anything you want, but every question you have to take off a piece of your mm-hmm. clothes. And it's this kind of like flirtation thing. And like, you know, the, the, the fanboys like kind of into it. Like, yeah. Let's be honest here. And it's really playing up the whole movies. And it's going to be this like game, this like sexuality mm-hmm. game where James Whale is going to push us and see how far he can go. Yeah. And as he's doing this and answering questions, that's when we get the first um, stroke, right? Or the it's, it's it's the first in the movie. It's the second one he's had in storyline. I don't think it's a stroke. I think it's just... 
a spell? It might be a spell because, you know, right away, um, his his maid, I can't think of her name. Uh, Hannah? Hannah, thank you. You know, she comes with all the medication. So it might be a spell. You know, it's one of those things because he drops the cigar and he goes to reach it. And it's like kind of that thing where you like bend down to pick something up. And it's like all the blood rushes to your head and it kind of, you know, makes you feel a little off. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those spells where, you know, he was fine. You know, he's totally engaged in the conversation. And, you know, just like that, he shifts into, you know, he really is sick. And it's like, you know, the, the bravado can be there, but, you know, the body demands what it, it's feeling. Ooh. And, you know, we get that where he has to cancel this interview that he's excited to do because... You know, he's been out of the, the limelight for 20 years, and it's like, wow, someone wants to talk to me. They want to hear about my career, and it gets pulled away from him. And that's the thing that's establishing this theme of him, his melancholy nature of his own legacy, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to be remembered as the man that created this monster, mm-hmm. right? Not the man who created, you know, a, like musicals and was an artist. He's going to be remembered as, like, the genre guy. And like what the, did, what the did, man that was a prisoner of war? Yeah, yeah, he was a World War One vet, like all these other things. He what? was a, he was in a camp for a year, and it's just like you know, my God, this man's story is so fascinating, but everyone wants to know just about the monsters. Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing for the movie to kind of open up with. You know, mm-hmm. it's a it's kind of it's kind of fascinating where it's like. Oh, he's the guy that made Frankenstein. That's why you guys all wanted to be here. And as soon as the audience is like, oh, we're going to learn about Frankenstein, he's like, that's not what the fucking movie's about, asshole. <laughs> like, Sir Ian McKellen's going to try and win himself a goddamn Oscar. Yeah. And after this, we get introduced to uh, Brendan Fraser's character, mm-hmm. uh, Clay Boone. And Clay is, you know, the gardener. You know, big strapping chap, you know. Keeps to himself. Keeps to himself, kind of quiet. And this is when, you know, James Whale is like, mm, well, he's a tall drink of iced tea. Let's, you know, go hang out with him. And this is where I'm I'm trying to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. Did James Whale want to seduce Boone? Create a friendship with Boone? Or did he already see Boone as a conduit to his suicide? I think in that scene, it was more, you know, attraction. Mm-hmm. Because, because we see him from afar. You know, he's fighting with uh, the lawnmower or whatever piece of machinery he has. He's fighting with it and he's in, you know, a muscle shirt. So it's like, oh, wow, you know, look at this hot guy. But I think, you know, this is where, you know, being just a regular person to where the artist kicks in. And he's like, wow, you know, this guy is very statuesque. You know, it's like, I'm attractive, but at the same time, you're igniting that spark where I want to sketch, I want to, you know, create a piece that looks like you. It's something where he looks at him, and there is that, like, oh, well, I, he, he's, like, attracted to him. He mm-hmm. wants, the uh, like, a relationship there yeah. in the sexual manner, but it is a thing where his play is like, oh, I would love to... St- to, to draw you can yeah. you come to my studio i'll pay you for your time mm-hmm. we can do these little sessions i just want to draw you have such an architectural skull and whatever and his hair in the moment is literally playing into like frankenstein yes. right a little little wink at the camera exactly. right exactly and once he does that this is kind of the movie is he like clay shows up uh james wales like draws him for a little bit and then they kind of start reminiscing about something you know james whale is like 
do you know what drippings are? Mm-hmm. Oh, they were the fats of uh, of like pork and beef and whatnot, and only the poorest of people, you know, ate them. We had ours in a in a mason jar. He's like, oh, you ate drippings? He's like, no, only the poor people ate drippings. Hiding the fact that he was like incredibly poor and all this other but fun stuff. But he has that aha moment where he's like, why am I trying to hide that? Like, you know, I'm embarrassed of this thing that I experienced, but it's like, look at me now. You know, I'm here, you know, in my mansion. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, I am a real, you know, rags to riches story. Yeah. And it's then that's like the mode of the movie. Um, Clay, like, Whale is trying to seduce Clay for a lot of it. You know, he's like, oh, I, I can draw you like that. You're wearing this white shirt. Just pop your shirt off. You know, I can, I'll draw mm-hmm. you without it. And he's like, I'm not wearing an undershirt. And he's like, oh, don't be bashful. Just take your shirt off. He's like, you know, what do I look like? Your Aunt Tilly? You know, take off the shirt. Yeah, come on. And it's that thing where James Whale is very slowly mm-hmm. and very gradually, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, is grooming the right word or is or is it more like like very he's, flirtatious? He's goading him, you know, like, you know, he, come he, on, you know, we're, we're both men here. Take off your shirt. Who's going to get, you know, offended? It, it's the thing where James Whale is like, pushing the steps one step at a time to see how far he can get clay to be uh open to this kind of relationship you give an inch he takes a mile yeah and that's a lot of the movie and jimmy's or james whale is you know he's charming and daring or whatever mm-hmm. he's not he's predatory but he's not creepy yeah right well he'll, he'll go creepy in the third act we'll get to that yeah it gets very creepy and then clay is you know, trying to kind of comes to terms with it. He's like... He's I, very closed off. And, you know, we start to see him open up more. He's also kind of kind of dumb. Uh, a little bit, but... You didn't st- know he was gay? I just thought he was an artist. I just thought he wanted to draw me shirtless. I don't know. But I think that's so important to their characters is that they both open each other up. Where, you know, Jimmy's already having these uh, flashbacks. But with Clay there... He's really doing soul searching where he's talking about growing up and, you know, what it was like to be an officer and, you know, the the tragedies that he saw when he was serving. And it's just kind of like, you know, wow, I, I haven't spoken about these things or even thought about these things in years. But there's just something about you that makes me want to tell the truth. Clay serves as someone that Wales can open up his real legacy to. Mm-hmm. He's somebody who, like... When they meet, you know, um, the opening scene is uh, James Wales being so mad that people only remember him from Frankenstein. Yeah. And then when he meets Clay, he's like, well, I was kind of famous. You know, I directed Frankenstein. Trying to use that, like, almost as a come on line. Being like, don't worry, I'm important. And he's like, you made Frankenstein? Really? And that's where our little joke comes from, you know? Only Hacks made the sequels. Yeah. And it's a thing where it's like James Wales as he's having these flashbacks and he's kind of lost in his own memories and his own mind. And he's kind of losing it. He's using clay to almost being like, when I go, you will have a real idea of who I was, my real legacy. Like, you know, my experiences in the war that shaped me, you know, the first man I ever loved, uh, I grew up, you know, poor and, you know, I ate drippings in, you know, like the East end of London. And I was this, and I was that, He's really trying to impart, like, this is me, and I want you to know that because mm-hmm. when I'm gone, I don't want people to only remember Frankenstein. Yeah. And I, I want people to know that I was an actual well-rounded person that lived a life, not just, you know, these few years that I created, you know, these memorable movies that'll live on, you know, 
throughout all time. Yeah, and it's there's there's some great uh there, there is a part I can't remember where it is. I think it's like near the end of the movie. Or no, no, no. It might be the midpoint where we flash to him doing um Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Great scene. Yes. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But the movie at this point we're doing the sessions Clay is trying to figure out James Wales. He's trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. Yes. And once he does, he does it when he goes to see uh, Bride of Frankenstein because it's on TV. I mean, I, I love that whole setup because, you know, he's doing a session. He brings the TV guide and shows him, hey, you know, Bride of Frankenstein's going to play tonight. And James is like, oh, okay. Or Jimmy, he's like, oh, okay, that's cool. But, you know, I prefer the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. And Man of taste. I guess, but I, I prefer Bride of Frankenstein. Sorry. Invisible Man is such a good movie. I, uh, Claude Rains is great. It's uh, Kino. It is, but you have the full range of Karloff in Bride of Frankenstein. I have a Titanic cast member in mine. Yeah, you do. But <laughs> still, Bride of Frankenstein's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we have this lead up where, you know, he even go Clay goes to uh, Santa Monica City Library. And he he's pulling up all these books. And he's like, oh, wow, you know, this guy really isn't, you know, pulling my leg with, you know. Oh, yeah, I, I made uh, Frankenstein. You know, I was this director. It's like, oh, no, this is the actual man. And he goes to the bar and he's like, we got to watch it. We got to watch it. And all the people are, you know, giving him a hard time. He goes, oh, you know, you're so happy because they're going to paint your picture and blah, 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 this and that. They're ragging on they're him. They're ragging on him. But, yeah, the the bar scene, right, yeah. where they're going to watch Bride of Frankenstein. Or is it Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein? Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein. And Clay is like, come on, guys, I want to watch the movie. And he's, like, trying to understand it. You know, he's like, I'm going to see this guy tomorrow. I want to understand, like, it as a, as a movie movie. And everyone else is just like, man, these things are so fucking funny. These yeah. things are so corny. They're cheesy. And then you have uh, Benny the bartender being like, oh, you know, it's about necrophilia. And, you know, you have Clay that's like, no, you, you have this monster that just, you know, wants to be accepted and wants a partner, someone that will be there for him. And it's like he's understanding, you know, the message of the movie and jimmy's like oh well you know i made that for kicks and you know it, it's funny but at the same time there's a lot of you know pathos and there's depth in that movie let's be honest when he's like did anyone laugh and he's like no no one laughed he's like oh what a shame i meant it to be a comedy how did no one laugh during this movie yeah it, it is a thing where even james wells is acknowledging he's like no i'm the king of camp he's yeah like, i basically invented camp he did with and it's like it is such a interesting scene because they watch it in parallel right yeah where he watches it with uh, hannah and then we have clay watching it with their friends and it's so interesting to see hannah i mean hannah's hilarious i mean she's yeah yeah because she's kind of this you know nervous kind of being and she's, she's this Eastern European, like, maid who is, like, super religious. That's why I love, you know, when she tells Clay that, you know, Jimmy's gay. And she's like, I love him so much, but he's going to hell, you know, for the things that he does. And Clay's like, uh... What, what, has, he, what has he done? <laughs> the unspeakable. The thing that no man can speak of without uh, uh, breaking a piece of his soul. Like, she goes, like, like weird with it. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm expecting the cross on, on her necklace to start growing as she's saying this. Like, just yeah. to drive the point home, guys. And Clay's just like, what? And she goes, bugger. She buggers other man. And then he's like, oh, okay. Like, then, you know. And like, then he's even like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't I don't know that word. Again, Clay's, Clay's a little dense. All he right? is. But I love that, you know, we have Clay that understands what's happening in the story. We have the people in the bar that are kind of like, this is cheesy, this is funny. So it's like you have 
the perfect audience that, you know, that Whale wants. He's like, he wants people to laugh, but he also wants people to understand the seriousness of the story. And at the same time, you have Hannah, who doesn't really grasp the concept that the people are bad in the movie and the monsters are the innocents. And we get to that ending where, you know, the monster kills everybody in the castle, Pretorius, the bride himself, and she goes, oh, what a happy ending. She's like, the good people lived and the bad people died. And it's like, you completely missed the message. And and I love it because the scene after, that's I think that's when Wales or James really gets that, oh, no, Clay's kind of like clay gets it yeah. honestly like he's like oh you're not just a slab of meat you're 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 like trying here yeah which is and, interesting and after that scene is when we get um the black and white sequence the dream sequence yeah wait where... is this before or after it's the cigar scene because I, I'm just, I just wanted to throw... I think it's like after the cigar scene because that's be. when Clay's like, oh, you're gay? And he's like, well, yeah. of course. Where where um, James Whale, Ian McKellen is just sucking on that cigar and I'm like, there is no subtlety to this anymore. No. You are, you are like jonesing for Clay right now. And Clay's just like, oh, cool. I get to smoke a, a nice cigar. I love in, you, in Clay. In a nice house. I love you, Clay, but God <laughs> damn, man. Yeah, Clay's a little dense, but I like that Clay's also kind of like, it, you know. It's like that meme where it's the, uh, uh, the the girl who goes up to the guy who's leaning against the wall and she has her leg up on the on the, um, on the the wall or whatever. She's like leaning in and she's like, and he's like, does, does she like me? I don't, I don't know. Huh. Okay, Clay. <laughs> don't worry about it. But it it is just so funny to me that Clay's just picking up on no signals here. Like, he, not a one. He isn't. And then, you know, once he's finally clued in, you know, he even tells him, you know, he's like, I don't care, you know. Live and let live. What your preference is. But he's just like, you know, ease it up on the shop talk. And it's like, I think that's, you know, totally acceptable for whoever you're attracted to. It's like, you know, okay, you know, good for you, you know, whoever you like. But it's like, I don't need to hear all the gory details of, you know, what you do. I mean, like, it's not even like a thing where he's like, oh, I was in love with a man once when I was in the war. Like, that's not the shop dog he's talking about. No. Like, the conversation I think that made Clay really uncomfortable was when um, uh, Wales is telling him about how he had basically, like, pool orgies yeah. in, the, in the 30s and 40s. And he's like... Bro, I don't. I don't need to know that there was a bunch of naked men in the room I'm sitting in right now. In the I, chair that I'm sitting. I don't. I don't need to know that. Yeah. Brother. So you know, you're able to see the contrast where you know Clay doesn't want to hear about you know all the the naked orgies and the parties that Jimmy had in the past. But once he starts to getting on to you know, you know, I was in the war and I fell in love with somebody in the war and they died tragically and I survived. Then you know he's really engrossed in the story. You know, well, what happened? And it's like, I, I love seeing that shift in their relationship where it's like, you know, preferences aside, you know, I want to know about you. I want to know what happened to you and how, you know, we ended up to this point. It, it's and, a really like, like human thing, right? And it's yeah. like, well, you know, I don't know your like preferences and all that stuff. I don't get that. But I understand love and you mm -hmm. loved this guy and he died. And I, I, mm -hmm. I, I understand that. I understand that tragedy. And you've had a, a partnership for, you know, the past 20 years or, or longer. But it's like, you know, what is that like to, you know, be with somebody and you have the one that got away and they just kind of live in the back of your memory? It, it is a really, like, interesting thing because the movie is very wrapped up in James Whale's, like, love in in like that sexuality thing because like through the movie 
I'm, I'm sorry I keep like harping on this, but it is like such a big like underpinning of the movie is James well, is trying is. to like pull Clay in and try and have Clay have maybe a homosexual experience mm-hmm. or something. And, and James Wales kind of wants that to happen, yeah. wants that relationship. And Clay is just not into it. Mm-hmm. But it does lead into the... Um, black and white sections or like the uh, the, pride sequences. Of, the sequences and things that get into very um expressionistic territory well, i mean no that's why i was talking about after they watch the bride of frankenstein on tv that's when we get the the sequence where jimmy is on the slab and clay is the doctor and he's the one switching out his brain and it's this beautiful sequence reminded me a lot of Tim Burton just the way that you know we pan in on you know some of the the machines and you know the sparks going off and it's very dramatic in the movements well it's a direct visual reference to like the James Whale style yeah. you know Frankenstein Bride Invisible Man Dark House but that scene where he's swapping out the brain the Jimmy's old brain that isn't working it's fried because of the the strokes you know for this fresh new brain because that's what he wants. You know, I still feel, you know, physically strong, but the thing that I need the most is, you know, cutting out on me. But it's like, I love that sequence because it's just so artistic and it's beautiful. And, you know, it's interesting to see Clay as the doctor when Clay's really his creation. Well, I think that's interesting because there is that question that comes up in the end of the movie, you know, which one of us is the monster, you know, Mm -hmm. which one of us is the creator. And it's like, well, in this, Clay is the creator, and he's, like, trying to fix James Whale, right? Mm-hmm. Like, by that, he's trying to be his friend. He's trying to connect with him. He's trying to be that, like, that human connection that mm-hmm. he just doesn't really have anymore, you know? And he's, like, the creator in this aspect, right? Yeah. But by the end of the movie, you know... Clay is the one that is the is the monster and James is the is the creator and then even after that we get another switch where mm-hmm. like he he feel views himself as the monster it yeah we going to get to that yeah uh, the movie takes you on a ride yeah but after we get these it goes back into now James Wales kind of like all right, you know, we understand each other. I'm still drawing you. Clay is like, all right, you know, I'm like feeling this out. And it is that progression of how far can we go? Mm-hmm. And then we get to the garden party yeah. where the, the princess shows up. Yes, the, the queen's younger sister. Yes. And it's like, my God, what are some of these Hollywood parties? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And this is where we get to the garden party. And... The garden party sequence is the saddest part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, let alone having the queen's sister there for the garden party. It's like, what is going on in Hollywood? We have Liz Taylor that's there. Uh, We have David, who is Jimmy's ex-life partner. I think they're still technically a thing. I don't. I don't really it's know. It's to, very vague. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, if they've just newly broken up, or it's a thing where it's kind of like like David's still in the closet and he doesn't want anyone to know that they're a, they're a thing. Because oh, no. this is again 1957, right? No, no. I think it's a a, a thing where people know. Um, Jimmy makes a point of that where it's like you know actors. That's where they you know. They don't care who they sleep with, but... As long as it doesn't make it into the papers. Exactly. You know, the the public persona is important. 
But the directors, they don't care. And I love that Jimmy's character is so himself. He doesn't, you know, feel the need to hide. I love that he's very proud of who he is. And it's like, I am. And it's like, you know, it's like, and what? You know, it's like, I love that he's, you know, just the strong presence. And it's like, I am who I am. And I'm proud of who I am. You know, next. Yeah, but, it, it is like this thing that James Wales, even in real life, was very like, yeah, I'm incredibly open about it. It's like... It is what it is. Yeah, it's like, you know, that's just part of me. It's like, you know, I'm a, a human. I'm a, I'm a whole person. It's like, I've got different facets to me. It's like, why focus on just that? Like the monsters, which gets us back to the garden party. Because at the garden party, the fanboy from the beginning of the movie is like, Hey, Mr. Wales, I'm the one who got you invited. I'm Mr. Kukor's new assistant, secretary, or whatever. And I've also invited your monsters. Why don't we all take a picture? And James Wells is like, oh, well, fuck my life. Well, what I was saying, you know, because oh. you're saying that this is the saddest part of the movie. You know, he runs into David, and David looks like, you know, you're the last person I want to see at this party. And Jimmy's like, you know, weren't you supposed to be in New York? And he's like, oh, well, I flew in last night and I was going to just see you tomorrow anyway. So I didn't feel the need to tell you that I was going to be here or, you know, if you wanted to join. So it's kind of like you see, like, Jimmy kind of like gets kicked in the stomach. Like, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'll see you when I see you. You know, I don't care, you know, but how did you get here? It was like, you know, he was part of this. He was a director and, you know, David's uh, like an executive producer. And it's like, David's career is still going. And Jimmy's the one that kind of had to take the back seat because the bum rap that he got on that movie. Yeah, and it is it is a thing where... The reason I say it's so sad is because of that picture where, yeah. you know, Elsa Lancaster shows up um, also, and Boris you know, Karloff shows up. The casting is phenomenal in this movie. I mean, you know, Sir Ian McKellen looks like James Whale. You have Brendan Fraser who looks, you know... So much like Frankenstein's monster. Well, yeah, I mean, like he's he just the, this big statuesque kind of guy. But the the thing is, because I know you were going to get to the guy that plays uh, Boris Karloff that looks exactly like him, Jack Betts. Jack Betts. Yeah, uh, there's a bunch of prosthetics on yeah. him that just blends so well, like dead ringer for Karloff. I mean, it, it's spooky in that scene because I mean, uh, Rosalind Ayers. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong who plays Elsa Lanchester, you know, you see her first and you're like, oh my God, you know, that's, that's Elsa. And then the nose that mm -mm. Elsa Lancaster had a very distinct like nose. But and that's still, the only you know, thing she, that throws me, but she, you know, it's pretty good. But you know, Jack Betts who plays Karloff in the movie, dead ringer. And it's like, oh my God, the three of them together. I know like, you're like fangirling out right now because you're like, oh, oh my god, that'd be so great to see. You know, but yeah, normally, to James Whale, it is so depressing. Normally, I would be fangirling out, but in that sequence, you know, he's already feeling weak. You know, you see him, you know, kind of, you know, hobbling to get up to the chairs, and then just kind of like, you know, he's already on the edge of losing it, and then you know he gets thrown into this picture with his monsters, and it's just you know you feel so bad for him, and you feel bad for the actors too, where it's like you know. I've moved on. I want to be, you know, known for me. But we're kind of typecast as these characters for the rest of our lives. That cutting, like, comment, you know, from Elsa Lancaster's to James Wales, like, don't you love being famous? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's, mm. Yeah. That sad thing where it's like, oh, my legacy is tied up into one thing. Yeah. Like, I... I've worked so hard to do so many things and express my art, but I will be remembered for this thing that 
I do not feel is the best thing I have done. Mm-hmm. And it's like so sad and it's so like, uh, like me- again, melancholy. I describe much of the movie as a very melancholy look at the life of uh, this man. And things, you know, really take a shift when he sees the love of his life, you know, just far on the grass, just standing there watching him. Yeah, it, which is a flashback to his World War One. Yes. Uh, uh, love which there's a whole like really sad story where he says you know he's like oh you know i was this officer and uh the boy i fell in love with over there he was one of my um um like one of my you know underlings right yeah and he goes out across the wire somebody took him without you know mm-hmm. my permission to show him some real action and he gets killed and he gets stuck in the wire yeah but he's too far for anyone to retrieve him so they wake up every day and he has to see this guy that he loved mm-hmm. deteriorate for like a year. Yeah, a year like, or two years. Yeah, until he like leaves. Like he leaves yeah. the front. And he's still up there, and he's still in the wires. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that's so dark, you know, to see this person you like really loved like rot away, mm-hmm. and that's like, oh, that that would that would fuck so many people up. That oh, would fuck yeah. everybody up. Oh yeah. And then like you see that, and we get back to his manor like it starts raining right and clay he's you know with jimmy because he's like you know hey you know I, i've never met a queen or i never met a princess before you know let's go that sounds cool yeah and he drives him to the party and he's seeing that you know jimmy's kind of starting to deteriorate at the party so it's like let me get you home safely hannah's not there because her daughter's in town so it's just the two of them in the house and this is when jimmy's kind of like this is my only time that I could strike. Yes. And he has been kind of, again, grooming or playing up or like mm-hmm. pushing the line yeah. with Clay and being like, hey, you know, I want this or this, you mm-hmm. know, hey, why don't you do this, do that, playing it up until this. And here, Clay is going to change, right? He's going to go and like change his clothes because they're all wet. And James is like, here's like an old sweater, but I don't have any pants to wear this towel, right? Yeah. And Jimmy tells him, like, I'm sorry, I I need to tell you something. All these drawings I've done of you have been nothing. He's like, I've had these strokes. My motor skills are shot. I can't draw anymore. I can't create art anymore. And it's not like, you know, he's lying to him. He's showing him all the sketches that he's attempted to do. And it's just, it's scribbles, you know, compared to seeing, you know, the paintings that are around the studio, his sketches. The, The sketch of Frankenstein's monster we see. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's like, I can't do it. You know, I've done this my entire life. I've sketched, I've painted, and it's just gone. The the His first art is the last art to leave him. Yeah. And Clay feels so, like, sad about this. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. And then he's, this is where Clay decides to take a step towards Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Decides to say, you know what? Let's let's see where this goes. And he stands up, takes off the sweater, drops the towel, and it's, you know, Brendan Fraser standing there, you know, as naked as God made him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, You so you wanted me to paint you like a statue? Let's let's see where this goes. I'm a statue. I'm a statue. And Jimmy, this is where he's finally like, Okay, now's the moment. Now's mm-hmm. the time to strike. Yep. He goes, he grabs um a gas mask. From, like, World War One, like, a, a, a army keepsake. We see that earlier in the day, that, that same day, you know, the garden party and this moment. Mm. And that's when we see, you know, he's having even more flashbacks. 
and it's kind of like this is the beginning of the end mm-hmm. and it's like okay we're gonna come full circle i'm gonna put the mask on you and use it against you yeah he puts the mask on to clay and he's like oh i want to do this so you know we have this humanistic body and we want this inhuman face mm-hmm. and i want to see the artistic thing and then clay puts it on he's like okay whatever and he's like hey this is like kind of tight i can't really you know like breathe well in here and then Jimmy is like starts like hard coming on to him yeah. being like oh you know oh you, don't worry I can I can hear you it's okay mm-hmm. oh maybe I can you know feel you too and he's like Jimmy can you not and then he like goes a yeah t- takes a grab of uh of the family jewels right yeah, and then Clay does. is like okay I'm throwing hands now and starts like you know like again pushes you know uh Jimmy off of him well, and mean, there's a whole like little struggle he doesn't even start to throw hands until Jimmy says you know what i'm going to tell everybody you know you were alone in this house with me you took off your clothes you you wanted this and that's when you know they really start to you know throw hands with each other yeah and then you know clay's like what what do you want he's like for you to kill me I want you to kill me because and if you can I, see the madness in his eyes i want you to kill me because if you kill me, then I might be able to bear death because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be this guy who cannot create. He can't. He doesn't want to be this. This he doesn't know, want vegetable. to deteriorate. He does. Yeah, he does, doesn't want to be nothing. He wants to still die as Jimmy. Not I'm gonna go as, out in a blaze of glory, yeah. even if it's hand to hand combat. I'm going out instead of you know, just getting worse and worse as the days progress. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Yes. And Clay is like, I am not your monster. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you because throughout the movie, Jimmy's kind of like created Clay to be the monster, mm-hmm. the the tool of his suicide. Yes. And Clay rejects that because, like, like Frankenstein, right? Coming back mm-hmm. to to old to old Frankie here. You know, he's like, well, Doctor Frankenstein created the monster to be. So, you know this one thing but the monster is like i am not what you created i am myself and i am so sad and full of emotions i am not this i'm not a monster i am a i'm a man you yeah. know and i'm the, a person i'm a person damn it i'm, I'm a person damn it and, and I, I love that scene know. because you know for most of the movie we've seen clay is kind of you know closed off serious angry jimmy breaks him yep and Jimmy's like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Boom. He's like, you really are a pussycat. And it's like, yeah, you know, this tough bravado that Jimmy, or not Jimmy, sorry, that Clay gives off. It's like, no, you really are, you know, a tender soul underneath, you know, the muscles and the, the uh, uh, he doesn't even get off an attitude. It's just he's very, you know, to himself. It's it's the thing. And it's even the thing where he's like an ex-Marine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this whole time Jimmy's been like, oh, you must have served in Korea. You know, we're trying to have this war bond. And he's like, I got appendicitis in boot camp. I never saw combat. It, it I ended got, my career. He's like, I, I got kicked out of of the marines you know or honorable discharge so i don't i don't have war stories you know and then jimmy's like that's where you're wrong you do have you know stories and it's the thing where the next morning you know clay's like you know clay puts jimmy to bed because jimmy is now in a bad bad way like not only that he just tried to commit suicide by getting clay to kill him but also he's like he can't like undo his shirt anymore he can't really like use his hands anymore and that's why i love clay because you know He's just been sexually assaulted, physically assaulted, and, you know, soul's been broken. 
But at the same time, you know, he's such a stand-up guy where, you know, he could have just left in there. You know, he's like, you know what, you know, let me help you get into bed. Let me help you, you know, with your shirt. And I'm going to stay here for the night because there's no one here with you. I'm going to make sure, you know, if anything happens, I'm here if you need me. And the next morning comes and... Hannah comes home. Hannah comes home and she's like, I do not want to know what you two did in the <laughs> nights. I see you are naked on the couch. And what I do not see this, but Jesus sees this. So you must repent. And Clay's like, I'm literally just in a chair, uncomfortable sleeping, making sure that your boss is okay. He's like, look, this isn't what it looks like. And she's like, I do not care. I do not care. Jesus will decide. Jesus will decide. And then they make the tragic discovery that Jimmy has thrown himself into the pool and committed suicide and killed himself which is actually correct to life yeah James Wells he killed himself I think he was only like in his early 60s I think I believe so uh he wore his finest suit uh he did leave a note so you know Clay the character of Clay doesn't exist in real life so I believe it was David and it must have been if it wasn't Hannah, you know, whoever else was on staff his, that day. His actual maid, I think his, his maid's name was like Maria or something like that. Yeah. His, his actual maid. They they found him. Um, David hid the note. So it was ruled an accident. And it wasn't until David passed away. Uh, and it was, I think, uh, James Wales' historian and someone else connected to David. They found out that, no, he really did commit suicide and ended it on his terms. Because that is James Whale. James Whale is going to do what he wants to do. And he did. And it gets to this, like, like really sad thing where, you know, Hannah's like, I know you stray away from God's light, but, oh, God must love you. Please, mm-hmm. I, I hope to see you again. Like, yeah. again, Hannah is this character that I uh, is very, like, jarring to me. Well, it's also, you know, Hannah is a widow. And uh, James doesn't say how long that Hannah's been working for him. Oh, like, uh, I think that she said like 15 years. But it's a thing where he goes, you know, she's seen me at my best and now she's seeing me at my worst. And the longer that your staff stays with you, the more they feel like, you know, they're connected to you and they can tell you, you know, instead of just, you know, I'm the boss, you listen to me. I'm not talking about the characterization. I'm talking about the the uh, uh, cartoonish Eastern European accent that oh, throws no. me through the fucking movie. Well, no, I'm talking about how, you know, because she's kissing him and she's, you know, saying, you know, I, I hope, you know, God takes you into the light and this stuff like that. And it's like, you feel like maybe Jimmy was kind of like a surrogate husband to her because that's where, you know, Clay kind of asks, you know, you never remarried. And she's like, well, I'm still married, even though her husband's passed. But it's kind of like, you know, is Jimmy kind of that stand in, you know, so you don't feel like, your husband's completely gone. I mean, they watched like Bride of Frankenstein together and she's in like the Her PJs, yeah. Yeah, the stereotypical like husband wife, you know, oh, we're going to watch a movie before we go to bed mm-hmm. like shtick. And it's it is like this very again, it's a melancholy movie and it's a very sad kind of end to James Whale, but you feel like okay, at least he had one final connection before he goes and we realize what that connection really meant. Because Clay gets a, a letter from James before he dies. Yeah, he he, right? he gets um, the gets original drawing, the original sketch of Frankenstein's monster. But before that, you know, we get this dream sequence. But I think it's actually like Jimmy's soul passing. Oh yeah, it's like literally 
in the night, like right before Clay wakes up, it's yeah. like the literal scene right before this. Yeah, and you know, we've had the black and white sequences, but this is, you know, Clay is now the monster. He's yeah. in the garb and he is guiding Jimmy through the war zone and he brings him back to, you know, the love of his life and his men. In the trenches. In the trenches. And lays him down with the rest of his men. And, you know, thought made me think of Titanic. You know, when, when Rose goes back to, you know, where the, the boat crashed and she's reunited with everybody that she felt like she should have passed with. So it was kind of that moment where, you know, this monster that he didn't want to be remembered for really helped him and guided him to the ending that he wanted. And that ties in exactly to the to the letter that's left to him, right? Mm-hmm. Because we flash forward, uh, it has to be like 10 years. Yeah. Because like now Cliff, now Cl- not Cliff, Clay, Clay is married, he has a kid, and they're watching the Bride, uh, Frankenstein. Bride and Frankenstein. And for some reason, it cuts to credits in the middle of the movie. I don't know, weird filmmaking thing. <laughs> uh, I love that, that the, the transition goes from um, that scene to when the monster meets the blind man in the forest. Yeah, where the monster, you know, this wayward spirit finds a human connection in this old broken man. And it's like, oh, so yeah, that's the movie. That is. And he shows his son uh, this, you know, he's like, I knew the guy who made that movie and he gave me this. And he shows him the the sketch sketch and the drawing. And the kid flips it over and we sees what Jimmy wrote to uh, Clay. Because we don't see it when Clay sees it for the first time. Yeah, and we finally see it. And uh, I think it says something along the lines of to Clay, love Jimmy, friend, no, question mark. It, it says to Clay, friend, question mark. Doesn't sign it, just, you know. Friend, question friend. mark. So so uh, was this where you cried? Uh, Maybe the first friend. time. Ma- friend? Maybe the first time, but not this time. I've I've watched it a lot. I think I watched it couple weeks ago like two days in a row because it's just i don't know there's something about this movie that just 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 rolls with you it does but and that's the thing where you know we seen the movie and we're like oh jimmy's creating clay in an image to be the monster Mm -hmm. and we are like no jimmy's the monster yeah what he put on screen you know this monster who wanted friends who wanted to be accepted Mm -hmm. who wanted who didn't ask for this. Who didn't ask for this. He didn't ask to be born. Didn't ask to be born this way. He didn't ask to be, you know, abused by those around him and ostracized. He saw himself as the monster. And, and especially with the stroke, he didn't ask for this. And it's this very human thing. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, the movie, you put a point on it. Good job. Good job, movie. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with Clay going to take out the trash and it starts raining. And then... He does the Frankenstein walk in the alley as this kind of little homage and, to And to that Jimmy. was, you know, uh, inspired by Brendan Fraser. He brought it to Bill Condon. He was like, hey, you know, I think this would probably look good, you know, in the scene. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, roll with it. And it's like, you know, who hasn't done the Frankenstein walk and, you know, pretending to be, you know, oh, fire bad, you know, stuff like that. You know, who hasn't done that? But I, I thought it was kind of weird because I was watching that scene the last couple times I've watched this movie recently, and I watched it again last night. So he's walking against that like chain link fence as he's doing the, the Frankenstein walk. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fence, but it caught my attention because the shadowing when it changes from color to black and white in that scene, it looks like somebody's standing there, like somebody tall. Yeah. And I was just like, like I hadn't noticed the first times I watched it. And I noticed it these last like three times I watched it. 
And I was kind of like, okay, that could just be lighting. Or is that kind of like a symbol? Like, you know, Jimmy's there, Jimmy's watching you or, you know, the monster's watching you. And of course it would be in a shadow and not Mm -hmm. like the bright light because James Wales is famous for these deep shadows. Mm -hmm. This expressionistic style. It goes to black and white into Jimmy's world. And yeah, but the movie's the movie's really good. It's a really oh, yeah. good movie. I love this movie. I love, you know, the, the sequences going back to when they were shooting the bride, uh, using, you know, real things that were happening, you know, Colin Clive with his alcoholism and Jimmy just being super supportive. And he's like, you know, I don't, I know you don't feel well, but you got this. No one else can do this but you. And the other thing is even outside the the crux of the movie, this this is like a really interesting piece of like queer cinema Mm -hmm. of like this late 90s period because it shows like ian mckellen isn't playing a caricature he's playing like a guy who's like very deeply like troubled and his sexuality is like tied into Mm -hmm. his life but it's not a thing where he's like i am more than just the the gay director of frankenstein i'm a world war one vet i'm this guy i'm an artist i'm this i'm that and it's a very like holistic look at this guy who I don't I don't know if James Wales is a queer icon. He's like this inventor of camp and he's this he's He should one of the... be though. He he's very important to, you know, cinema and to, you know, being, you know, kind of uh, a pillar for, you know, being proud of being gay. I mean, Surya McKellen, he's gay and you know, I love, you know, the casting. They got a British man, he's gay. And it's just like, you know, he... I, I have something funny about Sir Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen didn't want to take the role because he didn't want to be typecasted as the old man. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Sir Ian, you've looked like an old man for 40 <laughs> years. I don't... I'm sorry. But when you see him in the garb and then you put the, the pictures side by side of uh, James Whale and Sir Ian McKellen... They look like they could be brothers or related. It, it's it's trippy. Oh, yeah. And it's... And it's a thing because um well well let's get let's get to the to this point. This is an Oscar movie. Yes. It was it, is. it was designed to be kind of an Oscar bait a mm, little bit, right? A little bit. And it does get nominated for three or four I think Oscars, it was three. Three. And um it's best actor, best supporting actress, and best screenplay. It wins best screenplay. It does. But it loses out to best actor. It loses best actor. Ian McKellen doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And I got and I know you love this movie. Yes. Right? Great performance. Mm-hmm. Oscar-worthy performance. Mm-hmm. Do you think it should have won against this this lineup? And I'm going to read this to you. Because it right. is, I would say it is a stacked fucking year. All right? All right 1998. <clears throat> so the winner is Roberto Benini for Life is Beautiful. Oh, my God. That is a phenomenal movie. Yeah, I can see why it didn't win. Now, now, now. You'd be like, oh, so Sir Ian McKellen, he was like the number two spot in there. Hold up. <laughs> the other person, Tom Hanks, Saving Private Ryan. Next, next, we have we have a Nick Nolte for Affliction. Yeah. And then this, <laughs> you would think, oh, well, I mean, then Ian McKellen, right? No, then it's Ed Norton for American History X. Oh. And you're like, well, fuck me, Sir Ian. You got a, you got a rough year to fight yeah. in. But it feels like like Ian McKellen super Oscar worthy performance mm-hmm. like I love the nod like he definitely deserved it yeah like this feels like it's such a personal built role it feels like you're really understanding the character of James Wales but I mean like you you'll look at that lineup of best actor nods like yeah, that, can, that's can, rough could you could you see giving it to him in that lineup 
because I'm because I'm biased. Because you're incredibly biased. (laughs) Yes. Like so biased, you have you're wearing a Frankenstein shirt next to a picture of Frankenstein. Oh, absolutely. Like, but with my Frankenstein backpack, yeah. Exactly, but like, I mean, that's rough. That's a rough go. Oh yeah, definitely. But like to its win, you know, its lead actor category super stacked. Its Oscar win though, I I'm curious about your thoughts on this, because. For its win on screenplay, it win it wins against um, Out of Sight, which is a Steven Soderbergh movie, mm-hmm. very good. But the screenplay is not the best part of that. Primary Colors with Kathy Bates, uh, Simple Plan, Sam Raimi movie, mm-hmm. and it also wins against Thin Red Line, the Terrence Malick World yeah. War Two movie. Yeah, right. Is that a weak year for the adapted screenplay Oscar? Did this kind of just slide in on a? Was this best actress category so fucking stacked and the screenplay category so fucking weak that it was able to like do one of those like slides? Yeah, I I think so because I mean, you know, I'm sure they're all great movies, but I mean, I think this one has the most in depth story, the most you know tug at your heartstrings kind of story. The the adaptation is also like a, apparently almost like one for one. It yeah. is a very close adaptation. Yeah, but. Yeah, uh, the other fun thing that I wanted to throw out there is uh, this movie was also a fucking huge flop. Yeah, it was, unfortunately. Um, I don't remember the numbers, but it didn't do well, but the critics liked the movie. Yeah, it was a $10 million budget, which we mentioned, I think, at the top of this, that it has a TV feel Mm -hmm. to it. Like, you can tell the budget's not a lot. You can tell the production design isn't totally there like mm-hmm. you never feel like you were in 1957 you yeah. feel like you're in generic mid-century america but it makes like five million at the box mm-hmm. office right critics love it everyone loves it yeah. they praise ian mckellen no one points out brendan fraser at all i know and he does phenomenal in the movie too surprise he doesn't get a best supporting nod it's okay he gets his oscar Years down the line. Well-deserved. Yes, and they both go on to have massive franchises that dwarf the gross of small countries. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I really did like the movie. Me too. I mean, it's one of my favorites. Um, discovered it really late. I found it in 2020. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not something that I grew up with, but... Yeah, you know, I found it, and I've loved it ever since. And I don't know why. I, I just... I go back to it a lot, and I just sit there and try to absorb it. It is a movie that really works for its like incredible acting. Like Sir Ian McCullen is doing a fantastic yeah. job, and kind of tying into the theme of the month, right? You mm-hmm. know, we're doing a series on movies about movies, yeah. And this is about a very sad legacy reality of Mm -hmm. that it's it's about an artist kind of dealing with his creations Mm -hmm. and the sad end of the legacy of you know i'm an artist but i'm remembered for so very little of my work Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering does this still fall into that category of a movie about movies absolutely you think so yeah because i mean you know his life could have been a movie and you know that's how we started the month with you know Steven Spielberg, Fablemans, where, you know, we see, you know, the the birth of a director, but also how cinematic his life was. And And this is the end of the director. And this is the end of the director where it's, you know, his life could have been on the big screen with all the things that he's gone through. 
but this is a tragic ending where you know it's not scandal that's taking him out it's illness that's taking him out but because he is such a strong individual and character he's got to do it on his own terms and that that huge thrust of the movie is the reason he's doing it is yeah he's losing his mind and his function but it's because he can't create anymore mm-hmm. like i think the the moment he realizes he's going to kill himself is when he starts drawing clay yeah. and realizes he can't create art anymore yeah because i mean he said that he hadn't make, made a movie in like 20 years but he still had you know his painting and his sketching that he could do and it's like well once that's gone what do i have to live for this has been my saving grace when the movies were taken away from me. Now what? And it's it's such a, a beautiful, tragic end. Mm-hmm. And it ties into this whole thing about filmmaking. You know, there's so many filmmakers and like you, who, whomever you want to like think about that are like, my life is about movies. My mm-hmm. life is about art. My life is about creating like cinema. And when that's gone, it feels oh so tiresome afterwards. I've got nothing left to live for. Yeah, I mean, like, there's the whole thing, you know, Martin Scorsese's um, in the, like, cycle right now because he's said that, you know, oh, you know, I'm 80 years old. And he's like, ah, now that I finally know all this about films, it's it's far too late. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to do so much, but he's like, I'm too old. Like, I don't, there's not enough time to do all the things I want to do. And it's like, oh, the tragedy of age for the yeah. artist. But yeah, Gods and Monsters. Sorry to like wrap up this month with some sad shit, um, but oh, it's a good fucking movie. It is, and I mean, I'm kind of sad that the month's coming to an end. It's been a really fun month of you know the behind the scenes of movies and you know how movies are made and you know the, the people that make it possible and they're very much real people. But we have a bonus episode to end this month. We do, and we're talking. And this was the tragedy of the the director at the end of his career. Now we're gonna look at the actor tragedy at the end of their career. We are, and I mean, there's no better way to end this month than with Sunset Boulevard. Oh, Billy Wilder, Gloria Swanson, the 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 level of Kino in this movie is undefinable. It is, again, one of the greatest movies ever made. It's probably one of the best movies about movies making ever made. And kind of like the sad, dark end stage of Hollywood. It's it's, it's such a good movie. And also ends with a pool. Ends with a pool. They both end with pools. They do. And I mean, seeing, you know, Jimmy at the pool in the end kind of reminded me of Sunset Boulevard. But there was also something beautiful and artistic, you know, when they have to drop him back into the water. And it's just, it's very much like he's doing a ballet when they drop him into the water and then he dives, you know, he starts to slowly sink. And that's when we transition into the old man and the the monster in the forest. And it's just, it's beautiful. And that's when the tears happen. So yeah, so, uh, (laughs) but if anybody wanted to watch that, listen to that, where can they go? Uh, You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. Eventually, Dean will get around to uploading a, um, uh, we'll call it a slideshow version of this podcast. You can like, comment, and subscribe there. You can also find us on our social media at... The Film Club Podcast... Blah, 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 blah. The Film Club Podcast. The Film Club Podcast on Instagram, where we post daily stories, upcoming episodes, random things that we do, but stay tuned for next week, where we talk about Sunset Boulevard with Cousin of the Podcast... Who will be announced next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week at the phone club. Bye. Oh, wait. I, oh, I fucked up you, the ending. You, you did. All right. Bye, everybody. Peace.